Okay, so this is part C, chapter three. Don't panic. We're going to get through this. <laughs> we'll actually get through this. Chapter three, verse one. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name of, you have a name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Yet you still have a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. So this is this reads a lot like uh, um, Elijah, right? I alone, I I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. Um, but then of course the Lord. Uh, reassures Elijah, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him, right? Well, there's there's some few persons left of the church in Sardis, so it sounds like things haven't been going very well. And they haven't soiled their clothes in the mire of Sardis. Um, and, and so then we'll see We'll see the contrast, see the contrast here, and this picks up in verse 4. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And of course, this is uh, this is temple language. Verse 5, if you conquer, you will be clothed like them in white robes, and I will not erase your name from the book of life. I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Okay, so white robes, this is is temple language, obviously. Don't soil or don't defile your garments. Um, Maybe not as obvious is uh, is this book of life. If we look at Daniel 10, the Ancient of Days is uh, sitting on his throne in judgment as 10,000 of thousands uh, attend to him. And the books were opened. Um, and then, uh, but but at, at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, right? Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt, right? And that's in chapter 12. Malachi 3 takes up this theme of the book of life. And a book of remembrance was written before them, before him, for them, uh, for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. So we have this theme of the book of life. Your name is written on it, and your name can be canceled out of it, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but, um, the, well, I mean, this is, and this is a very, very enduring theme. Think, think about how far back this goes. This goes back in way into ancient Egypt where the, the heavenly scribe Thoth is writing people's names on the leaves, not of the book, but on the leaves of the tree of life. This is the kind of the, the genesis of the, uh, or at least the first, first inkling we have of, of, uh, of this in, um, in archaeology and things like this, uh, that the, 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 the having your name inscribed on a leaf of the tree of life is having your name written in the book of life. Um, but this whole idea of a book of remembrance, uh, this goes back, you know, we see this in the Pearl of Great Price uh, with Adam. So, uh, you know, a long, uh, a long, long theme. Uh, verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Okay, so this, the key of David, this is one of these things where John is just invoking this whole 
this whole story and this whole, uh, you know, uh, gospel idea by just saying, the one that has the key of David. Think back now to, uh, to Isaiah um, and uh, 2 Kings, where, um, where Shebna, Shebna the scribe, and Eliakim, who was the head of the household, and Yoah, the recorder, they go out and converse with Rabshakeh, the, the Syrian envoy that tries to discourage Judah. Um, right? They, they've already carried off the, 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 12, the 10 tribes, and now they're trying to undermine uh, Judah's resilience resistance and they show up and they show they they tell everyone yeah you think god's going to defend you uh you, your very own king hezekiah won't even let you worship him you know, because he destroyed all the shrines to to god to yahweh and said nope only here in jerusalem where i can keep an eye on everything and collect um collect the benefits the the um, economic benefits so this is the, this is that shebna that uh, that's there well uh shebna and eliakim um, now we see in Isaiah 22, and I will drive thee from thy station, that's, uh, that's Shebna, and I will call my servant Eliakim and will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. See, these are the priestly effects, right? The, uh, it's a priestly robe, it's a priestly girdle or sash as we call it today. And I will commit thy government into his hands, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the key of the house of David will I lay on his shoulder, so that he may open and none may shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. See, this, these are the words now that we're getting from the book of Revelation. This, um, so so we, it, the, key, the key of David is the office of being like the, uh, the majordomo, uh, like, uh, it'd be like the prime minister, right? under the king. He's really the, the guy that does all the nuts and bolts, makes everything happen, right? The king is making big decisions and he's a, you know, doing all the ceremonial stuff, but the, but the prime minister has a phenomenal amount of power, probably second only to the king. So he, he symbolically opens the city or shuts the city and, it's, and he has the power to do that. That's what this key of David is for. But part of this is, um, okay, wh why what's so important how, how important is he? The next uh, part of this goes on. Uh, and the key, okay, so the key of the house of David, blah, 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 blah. yeah, and I will fasten him, that is Eliakim, I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house, and, uh, and they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house. And then the text goes on to describe the cups and the flagons and everything else that's going to hang on this nail that is that can bear all this weight because it's it's a nail in a sure place. It's built in to the to the structure of the house. It's not going to fall out. It's not just like plastered in there, right? It's uh, it's it, 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 it's set in there when the house is 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 built and set. Uh, so when Revelation 3.1 says, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, he that shutteth and no man openeth, it refers back to Eliakim, who was this chief steward, this major domo, this uh, prime minister. He's not, he's not a butler, right? Um, so um, all this stuff that's involved in this key of David reference, who can it be? Well, that's not hard to guess. It's Jesus, right? He's the father to his disciples, the saints. Uh, he decides who enters the divine presence. He can and did bear the way to the kingdom because he is like 
a nail in a sure place built into the structure of the house. Um, look at this from uh, from Nephi that uses this this imagery the same way. Come unto the holy, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that His paths are righteous. Um, behold, the way for man is narrow; it lieth in a straight course before Him, and the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and He employeth no servant there, and there is none other way save it be by the gate. For he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. So we're, we've got a we've got a slightly different take on this same imagery. Here it is again, Jesus uh, acting as the gatekeeper. Right? He decides who's shut out and who's open to. Right? And and beneath my hands, he doesn't employ a servant there. He does this himself, and he can't be deceived. Why? The Lord God is his name. Well, there's more there than it first meets the eye. Uh, he keeps the gate. In the past, it was the name of God. Well, why was why were the Jews always afraid and still are afraid to say the name of God? Because in the past, that was the that was the key word. Here we go with the key word again to enter the temple. You can see this in Psalm uh, Psalm twenty four. The word one had to speak to obtain entrance to that sacred precinct. Why can't he be deceived? Because this is his name, you have to know his name and say it to him. We're gonna we're gonna talk about new names more, and especially the new unknown name of God. So this is all. All this stuff is invoked by him saying he has the key of David. <laughs> all right, verse eight. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door. Here we go with this door, that no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. See, he's, he's opened the door for him, right? I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews, but are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word of endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one takes away your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write I, I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Let anyone who has ears to, has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Okay, there's several motifs here that need to be fleshed out a little bit. A pillar in the temple of my God. Um, you know, the Bible doesn't give us meaningless, pointless details. It focused so much on, on these two pillars, the pillars of Solomon's temple, and even named them, Yaquin and Boaz, establish and strength. So, you know, God will establish and strength or something like that, right? Are the pillars that, um, uh, that are set before the temple and God's going to make the faithful a pillar in the temple of my God. Now you might think, and the first thing that comes to our mind is, uh, oh God, I, I'm going to be important. I'm going to be holding the building up. I'll, you know, I'll be important in the church and kingdom. I'll be bearing some weight, bearing my share of the weight, uh, presumably. Uh, no, <laughs> actually, completely not. <laughs> the pillars that were set up um, in Solomon's temple were not supporting structures at all. They were freestanding. They were cast by Hiram of Tyre in bronze and set up in front of the temple, in the courtyard. What? Yeah, yeah. If we look back through Old Testament times, why did people set up freestanding pillars and stones? Well, 
Jacob Israel did this at Bethel to commemorate his vision, and he anointed that pillar, right? Or they could be grave markers, like for Rachel. Uh, they could be a witness of a covenant between two people, like when Jacob and Laban said, "Okay, here's the boundary between us. You can't go, you can't cross this this way, and I can't cross it that way." They set up a pillar, matzabah, right? Or between a king and the people, uh, or or with God, right? Uh, they could be written on, and, and this is what we said: "I'm going to write on you these things." These stones often were written on. Uh, in fact, in one in one instance, very extensively. Uh, you know, in, in theory, all the words of the law up to that point were written on the stone that was by the sacred oak in Shechem when Joshua put the people of Israel under covenant at the end of his life. Now, that's a lot of writing to put on a stone, but that's what it says, right? Okay, so a pillar is set up. Why? Because the people are supposed to remember something important, right? Jacob commemorating, remembering his vision. I'm never going to forget this. Here's a stone. Right? Remember this covenant. Remember this treaty between us. You can't pass this, right? A stone is for remembering a freestanding pillar or stone. Right? So now what will the saints of Philadelphia be? They will be remembered, remembered by God. God will write his own name on them and on us. In, in fact, he'll write his own new name, the sacred, secret name, that only the obedient can obtain. Now that's a little bit different than, than we would uh, normally think of it, isn't it? Verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. Okay, why, why is Jesus called the Amen? What is Amen? Amun is really, uh, it's faithful. Jesus is the faithful one. He's the faithful one. Fifteen. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold, neither cold nor hot. See, John. Uh, John knows that Laodicea has a hot springs nearby, right? But but it's just it's just far enough away in the cascade down over a waterfall that cools it, and there's enough enough cooling in transit that uh, that by the time it gets to Laodicea, it's considered it's considered no good. Uh, yeah, it's part of their water source, but but the but the ancient Greeks valued they valued really cold water because it's refreshing. And really hot water because it's medicinal, but this lukewarm water isn't good for either, right? So, so this this is why he says, "I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot." That's the rest of verse 15, 16. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, so, so it's not. Um, and that's a little bit different different image than we're used to thinking. You know. Well, can't we be on fire about the work? Well, that's not the imagery being used here. God wants us to be either cold, because it'll be refreshing to him, or hot, because it'll be medicinal. That's the, that's the imagery anyways. Okay. Uh, let's see. 17. For, I, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe yourself, and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. There's going to be important uh, significance to each of these things that they're supposed to procure. So this is the initiatory being hinted at here, isn't it, right? I mean, well, we've hinted at it already, but but putting on a white garment to cover our nakedness, uh, that just sounds pretty familiar. Anointing, among other body parts, our eyes that we may see, 
right? I hope that sounds familiar too. Well, uh, now, why that in particular? Well, according to the historian Strabo, uh, there was a medical school in the city there where a famous ophthalmologist practiced, right? Um, but but the whole anointing, like we experience it, was well known um, in Christianity. In fact, well into the apostasy after after um, early Christians were baptized, they were anointed on various body parts and um, and then clothed in a in a white robe. Um, so you know, the, uh, we we kind of reduplicate that. We we have separated out uh, baptism and then the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then we redo it again with the washing and anointing um, in the temple, and then then the clothing. But um, but this is well known. So so how about this? Um, this is uh, oh, is it John Chrysostom? I think it's John Chrysostom who said, uh, I sign your forehead in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that you may be a Christian, your eyes that you may see God with clarity, your ears that you may hear the voice of the Lord, your nostrils that you may breathe the sweetness of Christ, your lips that you may speak the words of life, your heart that you may believe in the inseparable Godhead, your shoulders that you may bear the yoke of service to Christ. I sign your entire body in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that you may have eternal life and live from age to age. This is this is in the you know five hundreds A.D. But you can see that this totally survived uh, into the uh, into the apostasy. So it ought to it ought to sound familiar. Y- you know that uh, <laughs> you know that Joseph Smith was totally shocked when he. Uh, in Nauvoo, he was able to learn more about Catholicism for the first time in his life. He was, uh, you know, near and around uh, some uh, some Catholics, and uh, and how much it preserved, preserved uh, a lot of the hidden things that had come to him by revelation. And uh, and and he was he said in one occasion, well, one of his last sermons, well, the old Catholic Church is more than all the rest of them, worth more than all the rest of them. Um, so verse nineteen. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. And 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 of course, this is like a this is a turnaround of the of the usual seek, knock, ask, right? Uh, here, here the Lord's saying, Well, you haven't really sought me that actively. I'm seeking for you then. Okay. Uh, continuing with verse 20. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So uh, this is, uh, this is uh, being exalted to a throne, becoming a king, right? So much for the initiatory ordinance as well. What happens next in the temple? Um, it's the... Uh, it's the premortal life, right? We, we um, the creation and the explanation of what our role and task is going to be in mortality comes, right? Um, not not just us, by the way. The uh, not just our temple, the Egyptian temple, the Mesopotamian temple, etc. All, all these temples, all they always go through the plan. They go through the creation. Everything's laid out what the earth is going to be like, and 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 Revelation is going to portray this as God pulling out a plan, a document written and sealed with seven seals. This is a plan. Right? It's like it's the it's the equivalent of the spiritual creation, things that are things that are created spiritually because they're planned first, right? So we'll start on that in chapter four in the next segment. <laughs>